we started off a few weeks ago talking about the ordinances of the church, and we talked about baptism and communion. And then the last time we were together, we, the last Sunday, we talked about congregational care, the kind of care that we all expect to receive simply by being part of a church family. And uh, by the way, if you weren't here last week um, and you consider faith community your church home, please take 40 minutes and watch that message or listen on our podcast because we set out in that teaching to clarify some expectations when it comes to care in the church. And then we asked you to uh, reply with these care team cards. And if you didn't get to do that, stop by the community table in the middle of the lobby there and grab one of these care team cards and bring it back, uh, leave it in the basket there. Um, it's just kind of so you can indicate where you can serve and where you can help provide congregational care within our own church. Uh, if it isn't clear to you like what I'm even talking about right now, then take some time to go to our website, watch the video, or listen on the podcast to that message from last Sunday, October uh, the 9th. I said that um, we've taken some, we're taking some time to clarify some expectations because everybody comes to church with expectations. I hope you do. <laughs> Jesus made it clear in his life, in his teaching, and in his ministry what the point or the purpose of the church would be. And it's interesting, when you go from church to church, how many of you have ever attended a church other than this one? It's okay, you can, you can admit that. Okay. So it's, when, you, when you go from church to church to church, you can sometimes wonder if you're even in the same realm of Christianity, right? When you look at the different things, things that churches wrap their identity around and the things that churches focus on. And if you've been around church for any time at all, you know that one of the big challenges uh, for the local church is that in doing the work of the church, it's easy for secondary things to become primary things. So from time to time, we take some time here on Sundays, we take a few Sundays almost every year, to address some topics that relate directly to the mission of the church, and even more specifically, how we at Faith Community, how we are pursuing that mission, just to make sure that we stay on track to make sure the primary things remain the primary things so that we don't drift off course. We talk a lot around here about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus spelled out his vision and the primary mission of the church. And in that passage, he simply says that we are to make disciples. That's the bottom line purpose of the church. That's the bottom line, simplified focus, primary focus of the church. So today, we're going to talk about Faith Community Fellowship, and I hope uh, in doing this that we're able to pull back the curtain a little bit to eliminate any misconceptions, to clarify for each of us what we really want to be about as a church. In 2004, Michael Finer wrote a book called The Finer Points of Leadership. I don't know if you've read it. It contains 50 facets of leadership. 50. That's a lot. Uh, he says, if you master these 50 facets... As you lead your people, your organization is really going to do well. And I'm thinking, 50? That, that's, a little, that's a little intimidating. I'm never going to memorize 50 facets of leadership. A few years ago, John Maxwell wrote The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Some of you have that book. Some of you have actually read it, and that's good. He's, he sold over a million copies of that book in the first 10 years. And uh, thank God he whittled the list down from 50 to 21. Jack Welch, the former CEO of, of GE, in his book, Winning, uh, he boils the list down from 21 to 8. Eight basics of leadership. It's getting a little more doable now, a little, more, a little easier for me to get my head around. This morning, I want to take a few minutes to talk about some of the things that we must do. 
we're in our 26th year at Faith Community. We've been around long enough to know how diluted things can get, how distracted we can become uh, if the list of things that we need to prioritize is too long. So today, we're going to look at a list that we can keep straight in our heads, at least for the next few months, a list that's short enough that we can concentrate on a few basics, and that if we do these things well, uh, our church will benefit greatly, we will stay on mission, we will make an impact in our community, in a few months' time, we can tweak it and refocus and maybe explore four more things. So for the past few years, especially in the last two and a half years, people have been asking us, and, and maybe they ask you what they've been asking me, what are you doing at Faith Community Fellowship? Like, what are you doing? We hear that you're growing. What are you doing? Like, how is it that at the same time that other churches in this community are shrinking and struggling or even closing, how is it that you're growing? Like, what are you doing? And that's a hard question to answer in a sentence or two, and it's a hard question to answer at all. And we've been talking a lot about it um, amongst our kind of leadership circles because, like, we want to kind of identify what it is because we want to protect that. Like, we want to protect the spirit uh, that is in this church and the sense of unity that we have and the focus on uh, these priorities in our church right now. So today, I want to talk about four things that we believe we have to do to sustain the momentum that we have right now at Faith Community. So please understand, this is not an exhaustive list, okay? Uh, I don't, like, I know, these are just four things that we're going to focus on right now for the next little while. And these priorities change from time to time. And I know that while you're sitting here, you'll think of 17 more things to put on your list. So if you feel compelled to come to me after church and say, I think you missed a few things. I know. That's not the point. The point is these are the four things for right now. And there's always these other things we know that. But um, we're going to reference some scripture today. But I'm not going to read through a passage like I usually do. We're going to jump around a little bit. And uh, this is more of a family meeting than a sermon, okay, just to, just to set the expectations. We're talking about things we must do. So here's the first one. We have to keep the vision clear. Keep the vision clear. I've been around churches, and you probably have too, that are vision-free or vision-impaired churches. And you know what I'm talking about. You, maybe you've been in churches like that, and it's awful. It's painful. It's, it's really, really hard to get the thing moving again. It's, hard to cre it's always hard to create momentum, right? So we usually, what we do is we opt for the path of least resistance. And churches where there's no vision tend to sit still and they remain stuck and they put in their time and then they die. In a church, when we start to get off track for a lack of vision, some ugly things can happen and they can happen quite quickly Within, like, within months of a vision getting fuzzy, you can watch drifting set in in a church as an organization. Church members get restless and become irritable. Uh, maybe they become unloving. Some start to turn, this is what we tend to do, is to turn inward, and we want all the resources of the church to be focused on our comfort and our convenience, you know, the convenience of the already convinced. All that, like we become like little special interest groups that start warring for all the resources and attention and focus of the church. So, so probably then, and then that happens, the majority will simply stop taking church seriously because they know that their church isn't going anywhere or really doing anything significant. So they allow their passion then, and maybe you've been there and lived this or you've seen it happen. They allow their passion to be captured by their job, by their hobbies, by their recreation, by their entertainment, Eventually, their dreams of doing something significant together in the community of believers, it just dies. 
as leaders at Faith Community, we understand what happens to good, well-intentioned people if they're in a church long enough without a clear, compelling vision. They drift, and they become stagnant. It's like they die a little, like a little more every Sunday, right? Then each month and each year until, for all intents and purposes, we're as good as dead with regards to the purposes of God for our lives. Like, we've seen it happen. Some of us have experienced it and lived it. Some of you have watched people you care about experience that. We've seen entire congregations give up on believing that their leaders are ever going to paint a picture of the future that will give them something to be passionate about. And they give up on believing that maybe their pastor or their church leadership has the passion or the guts to to rally them around a riveting, Christ-honoring cause. So they gather on Sundays. They mouth the words to some songs. They nod their heads in assent to, to another mindless, harmless sermon. And then they drive away wondering why they even bother with church. So as leaders at Faith Community, we, like, we understand we have to deliver on this one. We've got to keep the vision clear. We've got to discern that holy discontent in us. We've got to feed that internal firestorm that is raging enough and keep feeding it until it's raging enough that it has to give way to a vision. And then we've got to talk about that vision with the elders and with ministry team leaders and with influencers and supporters of faith community. we got to communicate this vision so that it's shared by everyone in this place until it burns in all of us. So we know that we understand we have to deliver on this clarity of vision thing. Like we owe it to our church. Like we'll all drift without it. We owe it to God. We owe it to the kingdom. And we owe it to our broken world. I'm naive enough to believe and to dream of the day when every single participant at Faith Community Fellowship is pulsating with excitement and determination to carry out our, our, our shared vision, to pursue with our best energy our personal vision as well. There's, there's, a, there's a vision in the church that's worth investing in, praying for, giving towards, getting involved in, living for, and listen, and even dying for Like, we still dream of the day where every single one of us is so fired up about the vision of the church that we spend our best hours, like, dreaming about what more could we do? Like, what more could we do to achieve the vision for the glory of the one whose name we bear? I still believe that in that day. We believe there'll be such a day because... We believe people like you are responsive to God. You're responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life. And we understand that vision is one of the most powerful, most effective tools in our toolbox. And when we connect it to our, that holy discontent that sits inside of us, it will burn white hot. Maybe people around us get singed by it and the church soars because of it. We talk a lot about mission around here, but in all the talk about mission, we can lose sight of the vision and mission is important, but vision is important too. And there's, there's a subtle difference between the two. Mission is about our reason for existence. Like, why are we here? And we've said that we're here, we exist as a church to make disciples, to lead and love people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Vision is about a preferred future. It's about what could be and what should be. It's about what it looks like if we're successful in our mission. So over 25 years ago, as we launched this church, we put our vision into words, and we've tweaked it a little bit along the way as things kind of became clearer, and it's longer than our mission statement. It's probably why we've never tried to memorize it, but this is our stated vision. 
that we at Faith Community Fellowship believe that being led by the Lord through personal relationships and the basic Christian community experience in our Sunday gatherings and small groups, that we will see people in our area come to Christ, be discipled, encouraged, and cared for, so that in our entire region will be impacted for Christ as we live out the great commandment and the great commission. So, if you're an elder, if you're a ministry team leader, if you're a person of influence, if this is your church home, we got to deliver on this. we got to keep the vision clear. Second thing we have to do is get everyone engaged. Get everyone engaged. So my favorite example of leadership in the Bible is actually in the Old Testament, and it's in the story of Nehemiah. Uh, you talk about vision casting and rallying people around a clearly stated mission and some, some expert leadership. Nehemiah was amazing. Remember, the mission there was to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem in preparation for the people to return to the homeland after 70 years in captivity. So they reached about the midway point of the build, which is really, that's where you start to bog down, right? But Nehemiah wrote this in Nehemiah 4. He said, they're halfway through, and he says, all the people worked with all their hearts. All the people, I just, just, I don't often ask you to do this, but could we just say that together? All the people worked with all their hearts. Just imagine that for a minute. I've worked at applying a lot of the leadership principles that we see in the story of Nehemiah, uh, but imagine if we applied this statement to the church, like to our church. All the people worked with all their hearts. Like every single person in this church working with all their hearts. So what we have to understand is uh, the difference between someone who passively agrees or gives mental consent to an, to an exciting vision. You know, they agree with the vision. Of course we agree with it, you know. But somebody, then someone who buys in and someone who becomes like a stakeholder in that vision. Someone who feels as responsible for pursuing the vision as anybody else does in the church, either, even the pastors and other leaders. Um, Michael Abershoff wrote a book called uh, It's Your Ship. And the story is that at 36, uh, Abishoff became the commander of the USS Benfold. It was a guided missile destroyer. But the crew on that particular ship was known far and wide for its poor performance and even poorer morale. Unless if you look that up and you just, you just Google the USS Benfold, that's part of its story, and it's like that kind of was commonly known. And in less than two years, Abishoff turned that ship and crew into the most unified, highest-performing vessel in the U.S. Navy. And it's really an amazing story of leadership. And he says he accomplished this turnaround with one basic principle. He did it through creating ownership. His standard line with his crew was, it's your ship. It's not my ship. It's your ship. It's yours to endure if you just want to endure it. It's yours to be miserable on if that's what you, if you just want to be embarrassed about it. It's, that's, it's, that's yours to be embarrassed about. Or it's yours to improve. It's yours to enjoy serving on. It's yours to be proud of. And he explained that when the crew believed that their opinions mattered, uh, that their input was wanted, that their contributions were valued, uh, they started pulling together and they started working, as Nehemiah would say, with all their hearts. So like, here's some things we've learned about engagement, about getting more people off the sidelines into the game. First, like, you need to know that the pastors and the elders and the leaders of this church are totally committed to the future of this church. Like, we know that if you're a high-commitment person, you're never going to sign on with a low-commitment leader. We get that. Like, Pastor Bob and I have served together 
in ministry for over 33 years. We have a combined 81 years of pastoral ministry experience. And you're like, how could that be? You're both so young. I know. We've given some of our best years to uh, growing the kingdom in this community. I, I, I've given all of my adult life to the church in this town. And that's all great. Warm fuzzies all around for everybody. The past, you know, we look at the, fa- at the past and we feel good about it. But the other side of the equation is that we remain committed to this thing for the long term. So we celebrated our 25th anniversary as a church this year, and that's great. We've had some great experiences over the years. We've made some really meaningful memories. But listen, that's in the past. And I, for one, don't believe that the good old days are behind us. I hope you don't believe that either. I think that's a terrible way to work, to live, you know, move through life. I don't believe the good old days are behind us. Not for you, not for me, not for our families, not for our community, not for America, and not for the church. To quote Andy Bernard from the final episode of The Office, he says, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. You're like, hmm. But there is, listen, these are the days. These are the days. As long as you're breathing oxygen, these are the days God has a purpose for you. And to live life with a sense of purpose and meaning means these are the days. Like, I really believe we're just getting started. I can tell it's going to take some convincing, so we're going to come back to that one maybe next week. I just challenge you, Move through this week, every day of this week, believing and in, in, if you've got to convince yourself, convince yourself that these are the days. Second, we know that people don't get excited about signing up for a small dream, for an insignificant endeavor with a low-risk vision. Like Some of you are high-capacity people. We realize that high-capacity people are not going to get involved in a tiny, little, easily achieved mission because that's not motivating to you. You don't think you're needed for that. So what you need is a significant mission. And we have to provide that. Third, we need to be crystal clear about what it is we need people to do. Like we, and then beyond that, we need to give you some running room to actually pull it off. So we need to be able to articulate exactly what it is that we're asking you to get involved in, give you all the tools and resources you need to succeed, encourage you along the way, and then kind of get out of the way and watch you thrive and watch your influence grow. Fourth, when you get involved in ministry in the church, you need feedback and evaluation. So, like, you need an occasional way to go. You're on the right track. Or, or, or by the way, could you alter your course by, like, five degrees? Because I think then we're headed in exactly the same direction. And then fifth, I think you need what every volunteer in every organization and every church needs. You need an occasional reminder that what you're doing really matters. Here's the thing about the church. It matters for eternity. That you aren't just parking cars and making coffee. You're creating an environment that is welcoming, where people who've had a rotten week or maybe haven't been in church for years, where they can be comfortable, where their spirit can be at ease so the spirit of God can speak encouragement to them. That you aren't just filling a slot in a nursery or preschool or elementary or youth ministry room because we're desperate to meet some ratios. No, you're providing, first of all, a service to some parents who need to be able to focus on what God has to say to them, who desperately need to interact in an adult world for just a couple hours on a Sunday morning, and 
you're contributing in a significant way to the spiritual journey of some awesome kids and teenagers in Treasure Bay and Jammers and Surge and FCF Youth. And sometimes you're reinforcing what they're hearing at home. And sometimes this is the only place they're going to hear that God loves them and has big dreams for them. They aren't just turning knobs and pushing faders and running software. You're using your technical know-how to make sure the message of God's word is communicated in a way that is crystal clear for those who learn best by hearing, for those who learn best by the visual, for those who need to hear it again later in the week and get some clarity. That you're not just playing music and singing some songs. Do you know the band comes here every Thursday night to work on familiar music, to learn new songs, to work on technical issues? Some of them work long days that add up to long weeks. They work jobs dealing with customers. They work jobs that are physically demanding. They come to practice on most, some, most of the hottest nights of the summer when it's 90 degrees in here. They come to practice on Thursday nights in the winter when only crazy people are on the road. And sometimes you just need to be reminded that what you're doing matters. You're contributing to an environment where a whole church can come together to experience God's presence and to worship him together. And I could go on, but you need an occasional reminder that what you're doing matters. And we all need those reminders. In fact, Jesus, I think, occasionally turned to his followers every once in a while, and it's like he was saying, you're not crazy for following me, for giving your life for this cause. You're not crazy. This is what really matters. And for those of you who are actively involved in a ministry team at Faith Community, for those of you who make it a priority to just be active in the lives of some people that you care about for the purpose of pouring into them with the hope of seeing them, you know, come into a relationship with Jesus and become fully devoted followers of Christ someday for the purpose then of mentoring and encouraging and discipling them along the way. And someday in the future, listen, you are going to look back and you're going to be grateful for every single hour that you gave yourself to this grander vision. There's some things we must do. Number three, make our gatherings meaningful and memorable. Another way of saying it is create great church services. And you're like, great job so far. No, hang with me. Here's the thing about Sunday mornings. I wasn't in ministry very long before I realized that Sunday morning comes along with shocking regularity. <laughs> it's like, whoa, how'd this happen? And here's the thing about Sunday mornings. The Sunday morning service isn't everything. It isn't even necessarily the most important thing we do in the course of a week. It may not be the most important thing that's happening in the life of our church right now this morning. Depends on the week, probably. But the reality is, and data backs this up, and our own data backs this up, that the Sunday morning service is the front door of the church. It's where the vast majority of people who come to church for the first time will experience church in the Sunday morning gathering. So... We need to work so hard to make our gatherings memorable that you wouldn't want to miss it. You ever ask anybody why they don't go to church? I have. It's always a little risky for me to ask that, but <laughs> you know what the most common answer is? Because the service has bored me to death. Why would I go and endure that? Like, why, why? Why do I need that? The services are boring. I don't understand what the minister's saying. It doesn't have anything to do with my life. In Acts 2, where we read about the experience of Jesus' followers in the very first days of the church, in Acts 2, verse 43, it says, and everyone was filled with awe. That's what we want. Everyone was filled with awe. That's what we want in our services. That everyone has a moment where they feel a sense of awe. Not, uh, I can't stand this. Is he still talking? 
but awe, like as in holy transcendent moments where the awareness of the presence of God is unmistakable. And listen, a meaningful, memorable church service has nothing to do with the style of music, has nothing to do with the style of preaching, has nothing to do with whether you're sitting in chairs or sitting in pews, has nothing to do with technology and videos and background cues. It has nothing to do with any of that. I've experienced memorable church services where the presence of God was so evident in little country churches with a pump organ and seven blue-haired ladies in the choir and wooden pews right out of some medieval torture chamber somewhere. But it's not about all that. Maybe it's just me, but the longer I'm around church, the more I understand that when people come to our gatherings, when people come to our church on Sunday morning, deep down, they're hoping that God will touch their life. They want that more than anything else. They're hoping that God will meet them, that the Spirit will whisper to them. They're hoping that something awe-inspiring will happen. And I, for one, think that those of us who are involved in planning these gatherings, who work behind the scenes, to, we just want to work to increase the likelihood that these transcendent moments might occur. Because you can't manufacture it, but you can create an opportunity for it. So I think we ought to work really, really hard to make our services as memorable and potentially impactful as we possibly can. Uh, because do you know what I think people are saying when they come through the doors of the church, whether you're here every week or you've just decided this is the week I'm going to try it out? I think people are saying, move me, scare me, inspire me, convict me, stir me. Anger me, offend me, surprise me, ignite me, thrill me, do something. Just don't leave me the way you found me when I came in these doors. Otherwise, what are we doing? So it's so easy in church work where Sundays roll around with amazing regularity to just say, you know, what did we do last week? Oh, let's see. Oh, yeah, that was pretty good. How could we fill 90 minutes this week? Maybe we just phone it in. Let's do the same thing we did last week. We've got to make our gatherings memorable and meaningful. We've got to put time into preparing the music. We've got to put time into preparing the message. We've got to prepare for communion and prayer time. And that includes putting prep time in for our ministry with our kids and students. It takes work. But we've got to be willing to do the hard work behind the scenes. Because listen, like our kids matter. The time we put, have with them is so short. We need to be willing to put the work in, put the time in, be as prepared as we can be for something significant to happen in the kids' environments on the other sides of these walls on any given Sunday. So these are the things we must do. Keep the vision clear. Keep the people engaged. Make the gatherings meaningful and memorable. And then here's one that might surprise you. Pace ourselves for the long haul. This is a principle for all of us, especially if you're a leader um, and you are a leader of people. Pace ourselves for the long haul. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul says, run in such a way as to get the prize. It's interesting that we're pulling that verse up on Marathon Day. Run in such a way as to get the prize. In a long-distance race, so I've read, if you intend to finish, it's all about pacing. If you start a race too fast, at too fast a pace, there's not much chance you'll finish. If you start too slowly, there's not much chance you'll win if that's your thing. So, or there's not much chance, let's put it this way, you'll establish a new personal best. So great runners work hard at establishing their best pace. It's all about pacing. I don't have any delusions about getting some big prize at the end of my life. The publishers aren't exactly banging down my door for the rights to my biography. Um, but I am, and we are, increasingly committed to finishing 
this thing that God has called us to with his help for his glory and finishing it well. Finishing it with our integrity intact. Finishing it with a spirit and a heart that can still be surprised by God. Finishing it with a family that loves to be together, to do church together, with friends that we can tackle life with and eat with and laugh with. Finishing it in such a way that we can stand before the one who finished his race, Jesus himself, who had the toughest assignment of all, and I want to stand in front of him and our our Heavenly Father and to say, we finished. I finished my race too. So it's for this uh, very reason that maybe somewhere in the past you've come to me with an idea and I've said, well, that's that's a great idea. Let's wait on that. Let's wait a bit on that. Let's just wait. Maybe we waited so long that the window of opportunity closed on that idea. But here's the deal. Long-term sustainability is often the reason that we might say no to an idea. But here's what I'm loving right now. With so many new people coming in and so many high-capacity people with leadership gifts coming forward with ideas who are willing to take the ball and run with it, we're saying yes to new ideas way more than we're saying no. And I love saying yes. Here's the bottom line. We need you. The church needs you because the church is the hope of the world. And you're like, what, Jesus? Yes, Jesus is the hope of the world, but he established the church and he left it here to be his hands and feet to do the work of the gospel. And when the church is functioning, as Jesus called it to function, it is the hope of the world. And its future rests primarily in the hands of those who have left the sidelines and gotten in the game. So we're gonna pace ourselves for the long haul We're going to work hard to make our gatherings meaningful and memorable. We're going to continue to engage you, the people, and we're going to explore every opportunity to keep the vision clear. So what do we do with this? What can you do? Listen to this. I'm not sure how familiar you are with these verses in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where it says, a little inside joke, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. Love is... You first. Like, I was here first, but you first. You can have my seat. Love is, I'm going to sacrifice for you, even though nothing's coming back my way. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does the message of the church matter? Oh, it matters because we're, we're not just stewards of the message of eternal life. We're stewards of the message of, of a better life, an abundant life, a rich and meaningful life now. And it runs contrary to what's natural and what runs contrary to what might be considered normal. And then the Apostle Paul in these verses, he ends this little dialogue, and in the 11-part series that we did uh, through the spring and, summer and in, yeah, spring and summer and into the fall, actually, uh, we didn't really even get to this part of this verse, but he ends this little dialogue with this brilliant, brilliant insight. And if you've read the Scripture before, uh, my hunch is maybe you've read right over this and kept going, but I think this is brilliant. This next phrase, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're new to Christianity, never read your Bible, or always read your Bible, this is one of those things where you got to go, you know, if, if there's this kind of insight into this book, even if it's not inspired, I don't know what I think about that, i got to read this, okay? This is the kind of stuff that might convince you. This next phrase is staggering in its implications and its significance. Here's how Paul finishes his list of what a person or a community looks like when it's filled with the Spirit. He says, there is no law against these things. And you're like, 
I was kind of ready for something big there. Like what? Listen, because this is huge. Like if you've been counting ceiling tiles or texting or thinking about lunch or like, just come back here for a second because I'm nearly done. 722 tiles in case you're wondering. It's not a number I pulled out of the air. When it, Paul says when it comes to the natural deeds of the flesh, because we go back a little bit earlier in this chapter, he's talking about the natural works of the flesh. We have laws to rein in and control people's behavior. But when an individual, when a family, when a community like this one embraces the deeds and the activities fueled by the Holy Spirit of God, there is no need for law. Like, you never hear someone say, hey, that's enough patience now. You sit down. Don't make me come over there. No more patience. I'm going to pull this car over. You know, it's like too much joy. Now, joy is probably not a good one because some people really do have too much joy and it's annoying. But um, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) But you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Uh, Too much love. Like, you know the problem with your marriage? Too much love. You've got to tone that down there. Law against self-control? Are you kidding me? Like, do you understand how brilliant this is? Paul says when an individual, when a family, when a community of Jesus followers embraces and follows the Spirit of God and allows the Spirit to transform our behavior, the need for law diminishes to nothing because suddenly I'm not the center of my world. Suddenly it's not all about me. It's about you. Do you know how powerful that is? So here's why I'm saying this. Does the message of the church matter? This is very important, and I want to make sure I make this clear. The church has never thought that all cultures are equal in terms of validity or in terms of experience for humans. The church has never said that all cultures are equal. The church has said there's a superior culture. There's a better way to do life. And so in the first century Roman culture, the church said, we don't think a culture that treats women as property is, is good. We don't think a culture that says the king's word is, makes law is good. We don't think that's a good culture. We don't think that the culture of the ancient Greeks where the caste system kept people at a certain level and a certain place economically that they could never move out of, we don't think that's a good idea. And that's still a thing in cultures all over the world. We don't think that allows for human flourishing. And we don't think that reflects the way of Jesus. We think the values of the kingdom of God are better. They're better than a culture where a man can put his daughter to death because she dishonored the family. We think the values of the kingdom of God are superior to a culture that says little girls are of less value than little boys. And if you have a little girl, you can put that baby on the steps of an orphanage or just out in the woods or out in the street and go have yourself a little boy. Like, no, we think God created little boys and little girls equal. It's always been the church that says everybody you are ever eyeball to eyeball with was made and fashioned in the image of God. They have dignity and value. It's the church that says, husbands, come on, husbands, love your wives. How? Oh, like Christ loved the church. That's all. I mean, who else is going to say that? It's the church that says, forgive. And then forgive. And then after you've forgiven, forgive some more. It's not an eye for an eye. It's forgive because you've been forgiven. It's accept because you've been accepted. It's serve because you have been served. It's the church that says give even when you don't see anything coming back. It's the church that says show mercy even to those who haven't shown you mercy. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Who else is saying that? So does our message matter? Of course it matters. Because we have the message of eternal life and we have a message of a better life here and now. 
So if the church disappears, that messaging disappears, and that influence disappears, and if the church loses its voice, the message is silenced. We have been given the stewardship of the message of eternal life, and we've been given the stewardship of a message of a better life, an abundant and purposeful, and Jesus said, rich and meaningful life now. And we dare not turn our backs to our community, both our local community and our global community, and simply talk to ourselves, because if ever there was a time when it's for the church to ramp up and be engaged and be engaged socially and be engaged in the lives of people and to live out the values of the kingdom of God within these walls when we gather, yes, and outside this property and outside this environment when we go, yes, it's now. So here's what we know. If we do this, it has the power to shape and change lives and families and communities, not for the sake of promoting ourselves and patting ourselves on the back or feeling good about what we've accomplished and now we can coast for a while, but for the sake of seeing our families and friends and coworkers and neighbors thrive, living lives of purpose with meaning for the sake of the kingdom of God. This is our time because these are the days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are humbled that you've chosen to use humans to carry out this mission, to make disciples, to live out the values of the kingdom of God. We aren't perfect. We don't get it right all the time. Sometimes our motives aren't the purest. And yet, you still choose to use us. So may we lean into this calling on our lives to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the people in our lives, to our community. May we understand, may we really sit heavy on us the stewardship that you've trusted us with, with the message of the gospel, this message of hope for eternity and a rich and meaningful life now. thank you for what you've done in the past, the way you've worked through humans like us in the past. We're grateful for that because it's brought us to where we are, made us who we are, but we look forward to the days ahead and to the move of your spirit in this place, in this church, and in our community and beyond. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name.